got a job at a bank, was a teller for a little while. And at finally, age? I was 15. And a teller at a bank. That's yeah, awesome. They had a, you know what it was? In the high school, they had a bank in, yeah. in the high school. So they had a class about it. And if, you know, you did reasonably okay, they let you in the real world. And so probably six months being a teller and they go, Rick, we love you. Like the clients love you. You get personality, but we spend more hours balancing your drawer. And I caught wind of it. So I brought a roll of quarters because I was always off by like 42 cents. So I brought a roll of quarters. I'm like, here's 42 cents. Come to find out, like I missed a half a million dollar check and a $540,000. And it was just like, didn't balance out. So it was much bigger problems. They said, Rick, we love you, but your attention to details are right. You're not in the right spot. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. To the show, I have Rick Schreer from Framing, Massachusetts. He's the CEO of Onto Mortgage, has been in the industry for 20 years, and he's also on the Scotsman's top originated rankings with 150 million, 350 loans. The guy knows how to do mortgages, plus has a mortgage company on top of that. And his split of business is 50-50 between purchase and refi. And really enjoyed my conversation with Rick. He's a very humble, down-to-earth guy, running a fantastic business. And if you're interested in chat with him about his company and stuff, I'd encourage you to reach out. He talks about that at the end of this. But a couple things that I take away from my conversation. First, he talked about how he fired nine realtors and how it completely changed his business. It was a really smart business move. We talk about how he uses product innovation to stand out and win market share, bridge loan program and an all-cash buyer program. Honestly, that's a flipping genius. Absolutely love it. And when he tells a hilarious story about how his high school actually had a bank branch in the school, which I've never heard of before. Like, I just think it's the craziest thing, but that's how he got into banking. It's pretty funny. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And today on the Ask the Expert segment, I've been from Bloom Finance talking about how to use reverse mortgage for ladder life care. Hey, before we jump into this episode, I want to give a shout out to my title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform that is incredibly easy to use, easy for borrowers and also easy for brokers. It's got some cool features like smart docs. So as the client's filling out the application, it's already figuring out exactly what documents that you need. It's got smart submission notes. So when you get ready to submit that to a lender, it's actually pulling key data from the application and putting in the notes. And you may think, Scott, why do you need that? It's because every lender's underwriting platform is different. Finding the information in the application is always like all over the place. And so this way you have one place for your notes, which is awesome. It's connected to Lender Spotlight, which means you can search rates and guidelines. And it's just incredibly easy. Our brokers absolutely love it. And the best part is there's no subscription fee. Best next step would be to go to finmo.ca and book a free strategy session. And they'll show you how this can help you save tons of time. Check it out. Hey, Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. So, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself and your business. Yeah, I've been in the business a month and 20 years, 20 years a month ago. So actually, when I wasn't sitting in class on my senior year, I was in mortgage office a couple streets over learning the business. So yeah, I've been doing it a while, launched my own mortgage company back in October of 2019. So right before uh, the big COVID hit, and lucky enough, we You're had- probably like, oh my, because everybody for a second there was holding their collective breath, like, is this it? And then all hell broke loose. But I remember there was a period where everybody was looking up yep. like, uh-oh. Yep, it was three weeks. I'll tell you, it was like 18 days where yeah. you see the unlock a rate because of the ripsaws. And my, my business partner and I got on a call and we called our employees at the time and we said, hey, if we moved your bonuses and accrued them, would that be okay? And they were like, we're in, we're all in, no problem. And uh, luckily, we never had to do that. So yeah, it was a little sketchy time. But you know, we had our feet underneath us in time to navigate it. 
Yeah. And, you know, listen, had two phenomenal years and now kind of, you know, looking at the change landscape where we've, uh, we're walking uh, into. Yeah. I see that you're in the Scotsman's guide and you're like a pretty good mix of purchase versus refi. The refi guys are sweating bullets right now because their whole shops are designed around that. And tell me about that. Is was that intentional that you sort of had a split mix or is it just kind of happened by accident? Uh, probably, you know, I had some really great mentors. Like I said, when I was sitting in that office, seeing in school, I heard a couple of things that they shared with me. And one being, don't spend all your money, right? This is up and down. That was a good life lesson. The second one is that purchases are going to pay the bills. And so my business partner and I, we are purchase-driven realtor advocates and just really create strong lasting relationships, deep relationships with our real estate partners. So that's out of design. You know, refis are okay. They're great when they're there. We'll do those after hours, but we're purchase business guys. Right. It makes a lot of sense. So how did you end up in mortgages? So 20 years ago, but like most people, when they're kids, like, I want to be a mortgage broker, loan officer when I grow up. What was your path to here? Yeah, I'll tell you a really quick story. When I was 14, I had to get a job, single mom. If I wanted my, you know, the Michael Jordans and the champion sweatshirts, it was all on me. Got a job at a bank, was a teller for a little while. And at finally, age? I was 15. And a teller at a bank. That's yeah, awesome. they had a, you know what it was in the high school, they had a bank in, yeah. in the high school. So they had a class about it. And if, you know, you did reasonably okay, they let you in the real world. And so probably six months being a teller and they go, Rick, we love you. Like the clients love you. You get personality, but we spend more hours balancing your drawer. And I caught wind of it. So I brought in rural quarters because I was always off by like 42 cents. So I brought yeah, a roll yeah. quarters. I'm like, here's 42 cents. Come to find out, like I missed a half a million dollar check and a $540,000. And it was just like, didn't balance out. So it was much bigger problems. They said, Rick, we love you, but your attention to details. You're not in the right spot. Yeah. So they pointed to the door across the lobby and said, Sue Smith, she's our mortgage loan officer. She needs a sales assistant when you go talk to her. And so I said, yeah. And this is the time where like typewriter up, PNS, person of sales, uh, we're faxing off credit reports. And, you know, I did that for, you know, maybe a year, year and a half after school and kind of just filled in. And then fast forward, senior year of college, didn't have enough money to buy books. I was at 10 cent wings with a friend of mine. And she said, hey, um, my boss is a mortgage guy. And I was like, I remember those days. He makes this amount of money. And I go, well, I want to make that amount of money. And right, so right. Uh, he brought me in. He said, it's 100% commission, kid. You're going to sink or fail. And I said, well, I got no choice, man. I don't have any money. So we're going right, right. to take a swing at this. And so that's it, man. The rest was history. I dug in and it was uh, bigger from there. Right. It's like the Wolf of Wall Street. Show me your check and then I'll come work for you. That guy, like, I don't think a big fan of that guy. I think he's not a good human. But in any case, one thing you said, though, I got to ask about, you had a bank at your school. Do you mean yeah. like an actual, like you could take money out or they were there to just teach? Explain this to me. Yeah, it was just kind of a carved out a classroom, right? And actually created a bank. And so there was a, you know, head teller. She kind of was there five hours. And so they encouraged kids to get the checking account, the savings account. So the passbook savings. So, you know, kids would come by and go, oh man, I need like $2 for lunch. Here's my passbook savings. And we'd go there, we'd journal it in and hand them two bucks, hand them their passbook back. And they go, How big gone. of a school was this? Like 3,200. So it was on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. It was Marshall High School. So shout out to my Red Raiders. Yeah. And so 3,200 kids. And that was how we learned banking. Like, dude, didn't ever do that in Canada. Like, there's no way you could get a no. bank. They'd be like, there's a conflict of interest. You can't like, but of course, it's crazy to me. Like, my kids learn how to calculate, you know, angles on triangles, but they don't learn anything about credit, debt. I'm like, how about stuff that they're going to use? In, like, there should yeah. be, there should be lots of classes on banking and insurance, but it's like, they don't, right? Like, it's kind of weird to me. But anyway, okay, so before we dive into the rest of your story, I'd love to ask you about a quote that's had an impact on your life or business. I love quotes. I can see you got some on the wall behind you. 
Yeah. Uh, and so what's one that really stood out to you? I love the one that if business is based on relationships, make that your business. And so, you know, I'm a big networker, connector. I love it. I love being with people that I like and I align with and that I could add value to their lives. So yeah, man, I make relationships my business and you know, business will always come, you know, when it comes. So you make some really great relationships and your business takes care of itself. Right. That's awesome. And so how have you applied that? Like this whole philosophy of, you know, businesses based on relationships, make that your business. What kind of things do you do intentionally to cultivate that? I surround myself with people that I align with and go all in. So I spend a lot of time on relationships you know, in our business, real estate partners, you want to work with everybody, right? And it doesn't matter what caliber they are, what kind of person they are. It's where's your next deal coming from? So I have to work with all of these people. Mm -hmm. The most freeing part of my business was in 2013. 2012 was a big refinance year for us. I did more business than I ever did refi. Mm -hmm. And 2013, I said, well, now I got to go back and hang out with real estate agents. And like the feeling that came over me was like, oh, but what I realized was, is the people, the caliber of agents, some of the caliber of agents I was working with drained the life out of me. Right. Yeah. I some people like you that. just like, you hate right. this job. Yeah. So I walked into my business partner's office and go, I'm firing people this year. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, we've got a great staff. And no, no, no. I'm firing relationships. And what I did was I took nine real estate agents that I did not align with. In other words, if my phone rang and I saw their thing, and I went, oh, and you cringed. Like I, I cringed. So I had a conversation with everybody and I said, Hey, I'm going to take my business in a different direction. You're a great agent. You're going to be fine. There's so many loan officers out there that you're going to love working with. And I literally fired nine of them. However, one of them said, hey, Rick, can I call you back tomorrow? And I said, okay. And so she called me back and she said, okay, I know what you're doing. I know I was disrespectful to Pam a couple of weeks ago. I was heated. I was sorry. Hey, if I stop doing that, you know, can we still can work keep together? working with you? <laughs> can I keep working with you? And I said, absolutely. And by the way, she's probably my number four or five to this date, my four or five real estate agent today. Yeah. What that allowed me to do is now go, let me find the agents that I'll go have a beer with. I'll go get lunch with. And I'm not there because of business. I'm there because if they stop selling business, I'd love to hang out with them and you know, kind of be around them. So since 2013, that's really where I changed it. You know, that philosophy came in when I started my own company and created core values because I don't want those people in my organization. Right. And, you know, knock on wood, we've done a really great job at protecting that. So that's it, man. I truly value relationships and I find the ones that I align with. And I go all in and, you know, it's proved to be successful. Right. So uh, let me ask you this. What's a red flag that you watch for? So let's say you're meeting with a new peripheral partner, realtor potentially. And so what's something that would be like, Ugh, you know, that yeah. would be a deal breaker for you that, you know, I'm not going to pursue this you know, relationship. You know, Scott, the people, that's just a negative attitude, right? The person that sits down and is just like, oh, like this. Uh, you know, the waiter or like, you could just tell like they lead with like, oh, there's something wrong here or, uh, or they get in, they start complaining about people. And it, it's just, again, we could sit there and bitch about people or complain about people all day long. It's not moving us forward. Right. right. And so I'm always looking for the people that like, I can pump up, they can pump me up, we can share ideas and values and all that type of thing. So yeah, the overly negative come from scarcity and not abundancy you know, just that kind of person that, you know, are they going to add to your life or are they going to take away from your life? Right. right. And you can usually clearly see that. And people hang on to the people that will take away from their life because they see something in it for them. Like, okay, yeah, they stink. They're not a good But idiot. I can make I some can money. Four, yeah. I, but I'm going to make some money. I'm going to get four or five. And I just, I don't yeah. know why. When you're not focused on the money, the money will take care of itself. But 
you have to really find people that you have an alignment with. So that's really good advice, actually. What about, I always like to ask about failure because it's not fatal or anything, but there's always a lesson in it. So can you share something that you failed at, but now looking back, you're like, oh, you know, there was some gold in that failure. Yeah. Oh, listen, dude, I fail every day. I mean, I, <laughs> um, I don't know if I'd call it a failure. I, you know, I you're too positive to call it a failure. See, that yeah. you're wired because you're, when you're wired that way, I think a failure is feedback. I don't even think of it as I'm like, for me, it's an experiment and it either turned out the way I expected or it didn't. And either way, I'm like, okay, I learned something. I know what not to do next time, or maybe there's a nugget in there. So, yes. but I love those from an analysis perspective. So I'm just curious if you have something that it tried, didn't work with the way you expected, but there was something in it that was positive that you're like, hey, I actually learned something from this. Yeah, I mean, I would say in the 20 years I've been in origination, I've probably been to six or seven companies, right? And, you know, from boutique mortgage companies to a bank, to one of the big box uh, mortgage companies. And, you know, obviously leaving a company, you go, well, that failed, right? That didn't work out the way I wanted to, or I wouldn't have left, or that didn't have what I needed in it. And so, yeah, certainly you look at someone's resume and you say, well, geez, you weren't at two companies for 20 years. You've been at six or seven. Now, some of that's navigating the downturn and navigating that thing. But one thing I did realize is, man, when you get recruited to mortgage companies, if you get 50% of the crap that they sling at you, you're like, you're doing okay, right? You're right, doing okay. Right. You, you got half life. Yeah, 50% yeah. of it is like, oh, you really yeah. over-delivered here. <laughs> yeah. So I guess what I would say, <laughs> you know, if, uh, if that was a failure is when I sat down with my business partner in about 2018, and I said, we can't find a place that has everything we need to be producers with culture, a fun place to be, fun place to work, and just not having this friction the friction in the mortgage company, right? There's always frictions, sales versus operations, operations versus ownership. There's yeah. always this friction. And I said, you know what? Look around, where could we find that? And we couldn't find it anywhere. And so that's when we said, listen, we're going to start from scratch and we're going to build it so that we avoid all of that. So, you know, one of the things, I don't regret any mortgage companies that I have ever been to because what allowed me to do now owning this company is it goes, Hey, I loved all the thing in that big box, like all that reporting, all that, those matrix. I really love that about that big box one, but I hated the red tape. I hated the department for everything and all that type yeah, of yeah. stuff. Creating the company, what it allowed me to do is saying, I want to bring in all the good stuff that I learned at all the different places. And then I want to keep out all the stuff I hated about all of those different places. Right. So what I did was, is I created core values, five core values in the company that just allows us to have that North star to when we're making business decisions or when, you know, hiring or having to let people go, it's all based on these core values. So, you know, I always say, listen, if the CEO can't have an ego, my underwriter can't have an ego. My top loan officer can't have an ego, you know? So it just allows us to truly have a family atmosphere in the company where we all like to hang out with each other. Like we have champagne Friday, every Friday at 430. Right. Shut the company. Everybody grabs a drink of their choice, right? We jump on a Zoom and we can't talk shop. It's just, what are you doing for the weekend? What's happening? And all of this stuff is so, you oh, know, like that. You know, it's truly, you know, a place that people like the people they work with. Like we just, I just did a ski trip. 15 of our people went up north. We had an amazing time. Everybody had a blast, you know? So what I did was, I guess the failures of the different companies I went to and I left, it actually allowed me to create what we created here at Onto Mortgage. And so I learned a lot. And so okay, yeah, that's awesome. Okay, I've got a few questions from what you just said. So what do you look for in a business partner? Because, you know, business partners can be, you know, awesome and challenging. And so what do you look for in a business partner? <laughs> First and foremost, trust. 
Yeah. Like you got to trust. Right. So my business partner, you know, we partnered back 16, 17 years ago, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and when you can literally trust and talk about anything, anything and have that ability. Now, listen, it wasn't natural, right? We both got coached. I believe in coaches. If people out there aren't being coached in their business or in their life, like you're missing out. And so, you know, we both got coached and then coached together. And we just use language and we use ways to just not have any friction between us because you're right, man. Most partnerships don't last and certainly starting a business and growing and rates changing and volume, you know, it puts strain on it, but man, you've got to know how to communicate and you've got to trust each other. Right. I remember Dave Ramsey always says the only ship that always sinks is a partnership. (laughs) I'm like, that's pretty negative, Dave. Like, I don't agree with that. So I think you're right. Trust is key. And then do you look for like, you know, complimentary, are you guys have, you have the same skill set or are you guys, are you, are you <laughs> different? Are. So when we moved our company from broker to banker, we hired a consultant and he came in and he gave us this test and he's telling us the results of it. And we got on the call, he starts laughing and he said, man, you guys are just like this. Like you guys specialize in two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? So I'm the CEO, he's the CFO. He loves spreadsheets. He loves numbers. He loves that stuff. I love vision. I love marketing. Like literally everything I suck at, he excels at. And everything that he sucks at, I Yeah, excel. that makes it really work. But um, dude, but literally when I tell you, like, we're not good at the same things. It's hilarious how it works out. But I love it for him because, man, he holds the pocketbook. He makes sure that, you know, everything is happening. And we'll well, yeah, if you were telling me about the teller, you know, back in the days, you're like, how's it <laughs> my 42 cents? You got a lot more than 42 cents in the till now, man. That's you gotta, right. You got to have somebody counting that stuff. So yeah. have you ever read the book Traction? Oh, yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, yeah. And visionary and integrator. Right. So I was like, oh, that's so true. Like, so you're the visionary, but you got to have somebody who can take if you got 10 ideas, find the two good ones, help get them implemented, track everything, and then you can keep doing it. So it's amazing. What's the single best change you made to your business in the last six to 12 months? You know, I would just say pivot. We've seen in the last six to 12 months, rates go up essentially double, right? Two and a half percent to almost 5% on a 30 year fixed. And, you know, it's how do you navigate that? How do you get out there in front of it? And how do you educate? So for us, it's product. So, you know, we launched about six months ago, a bridge loan program, because, you know, these agents, our real estate partners are coming to us and saying, hey, we can't get these sellers to sell because one, they need to sell their house to qualify. And two, they don't know where to go. Right. And so we need to be able to find them a property first to then get them to sell, but they can't buy a property without selling. And so we created a bridge loan program. You know, today we actually are launching a cash buyer program. So I would say, man, it's thinking about I'm a big problem solver. So I see the problem. Okay. How do we fix it? How do we get after it? So for us, ours is finding products in order to free up that inventory so that we have movement in the marketplace. Right. And then it makes you stand out to your referral partners because it's like hey i can solve a problem that's also their problem so i mean listen everybody's having post-traumatic you know offer syndrome you know it's 15 offers beat up by two hundred thousand. i mean our market is just i'm not saying every market's crazy it is crazy you know and so how do you create your buyer to look like the prettiest peacock right because that's what's being looked at right now right Um, so our main goal and again being one of these big companies right you're not nimble like that so to get anything enacted is like you know it's congress right So for us, bridge loans, you know, created in a week, right? It's like, all right, here's the money. Let's go. 
Let's offer it out. You know, again, the cash buyer program, let's just get it out. I mean, we talked about so this program. How, we chatted before we turned the mic about the bridge zone. How does the cash buyer program work? Do you mind yeah. walking through that? Perfect. Yeah. So for a qualified buyer, meaning, you know, we're not going to have any problem getting them financed. We will allow them, give them a certificate to go into a transaction as all cash, no contingencies, right? And for those buyers that have been beat out by a bunch of other people, you probably heard the person that got the deal was all cash, no contingencies. Yeah. And so what we do is, is, you know, ultimately we want to get that person financing, right? And so we'll set the contract up for a 30-day close or maybe even a 21-day close, but we're going to go get them the financing, get them set up so they don't have to worry about it. Now, however, let's say something happens, right? There was a job loss or something happened where they just can't qualify and now they're under agreement and they can't own it. We'll step in and we'll buy the property for them, right? So they're not going to lose any deposits or anything like that. And then what we do is the second that they can qualify again, or if, you know, if they just need an extra week or maybe they planned it that way, then we sell it back to them for the same amount of price we bought it for. So, you know, it's, I would say 99% of the time, we're not going to buy the property. You're going to get financing, you're going to close, but the product allowed you to beat out your competition who are all subject to sales or subject to mortgage contingencies and things like that. So it's just a way to be that cash buyer, but not necessarily needing the cash. Right. And so is there a carrying cost to that? Like if they have to use your money versus theirs, is there any cost for them? Yeah, absolutely. So essentially it's broken down into, let's say you just want to be able to be a cash buyer and you want to go in and and want to win the deal, but you're going to get financing, right? It costs 1%. So if you have a $400,000 loan, it's going to cost you $4,000 to do it, to be a cash buyer. Again, at the end of the day, we're going to get the financing all taken care of for you. So it doesn't really matter. But if you think about that 4,000, you might've had to to bid five or 10 or 15,000 to get the house if you didn't have a cash. So, you know, the money is still money, but when you look at what the opportunity costs to going cash is, if we have to buy the property, it's 3%, okay, of the purchase price. But we also have transfer taxes in Massachusetts. There's costs associated with buying the house. That's what I was going to ask, because some places have like land transfer taxes. You can own it for a day and it's paid again. So how do you deal with that? Yeah. So essentially, if we do need to buy the house, it's 3% of the purchase price. Right. And then they just pay per day of the exact carrying cost it costs for the money to buy the house. So, you know, if it's $200 a day, $150 a day for the money, it's a direct pass through to the buyer. So if they need it for five days, they're paying 3% plus the five days. And now they own the home. 3% of the price. 3% of the price. Correct. Of the price. And then does that cover the transfer costs? It does. Yeah. Yeah. There's no other costs associated with that. That's all covered. Part of that, you're not keeping 3% because you got to pay the transfer tax. To set oh, yeah. Up, right. So okay. absolutely. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Very cool. So, you know, there's lots been changing, especially the last six months with interest rates. So where do you see growth coming from for you guys? And how do you stay ahead of it? Yeah, you know, we're in a lot of great conversations with a bunch of loan officers. And so for our growth, you know, we're not gonna be growing on refis. And certainly, we're gonna try to free up as many purchases as we can based on our product. But the true growth is going to be adding, you know, just really, really solid loan officers to the team. You know, so our growth strategy is really just getting people back to the culture piece, right? Go into somewhere you love, get a great rate, great compensation, and again, really love where you work. We're also looking at going down the East Coast, right? So we just hired a group out of Virginia and out of Maryland, and we're looking at Florida. And so we're just following those opportunities. We're following the people. I'm not going to buy people. I'm not looking to, you know, oh, I need this volume. Again, that comes back to the alignment yeah, of people. You, yeah, if they're not aligned, they're not worth it. 
I'm telling you, I don't need money. This is a legacy play for us, not, hey, we're doing this to sell or we're doing this to be something different. So yeah, man, we're growing with really great people. Volume will come in and I'll keep doing what I need to do, which is go get the product for the loan officers to make sure that they're servicing as many clients as possible. My mantra is, is to help as many clients as humanly possible, as fast as humanly possible with the highest level of customer care in the industry. Those are the three things that everybody in my company drives towards. So I need to go find more product in order to help more clients. And we'll do that by also growing our sales. Right. And so if somebody's listening to this and they're like, hey, you sound like a cool dude, how would they reach out to you? Yeah, my cell phone, 617-548-7425, my personal cell phone. Hey, how many CEOs give you their cell phone? It's like, my phone number is 867-530. Call Jenny. Yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, again, if people are in alignment and they hear yeah. something, that might work for them. I'd love to talk to them directly. You seem like a straight shooter to me. You're a Patriots fan. I don't know, man. What could go wrong? Like, you know, it's it's all good. Okay, so I have some quick rapid fire questions. What's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? Uh, I love to ski. And that's kind of, but that's lame. Like, I don't even know. That's like, okay. That's, where, where do you ski uh, usually? So uh, a place up in New Hampshire called Loon Mountain. And so I'm a big skier. My son's a big skier. And I put him in race team so I could be up there every weekend. My wife doesn't ski, so she tags along. But up at Loon Mountain. Skiing. That's cool. My son, he's 15. Now. I cannot keep up. I remember I used to wait for them. Yeah. No more. I'm like, slow down. I'm, you're going to kill me. I just like, yeah. you know, they Let just me, fly. I got to tell you a quick thing. So this was his first year. He did some other programs. First year in race team. With a three weeks in, we did a race. Him and I side by side. And I beat him. But I beat him by one second and one millisecond on two runs. The race at the end of the year. And he beat me by like three or four seconds. And I, you know what? I hung up my racing skis. He's now got the, you know, and he just took them. He took my racing skis. Took the mantle. He's like, dad. That's it. it. Three seconds is a lot. I know. Stop. stop. Okay, Scott. All right. Enough. I know. Yeah. Okay. I'm just rubbing it a little. (laughs) What's a movie everybody should watch at least once? Ah, I'm a boiler room guy. I love boiler room. I just think there's so many life lessons in that movie. I haven't seen that. I got to watch that again. I haven't watched it in a while. What's one software program or digital tool you can't run your business without? We use a software that is over our email system called Front. Uh, We're looking at that actually. Dude, it's a team-based email software. We've had it for, geez, probably a year and a half now. And for like it? it's Outlook on steroids. And, you know, again, I have a team of seven that just handle my production, my business partner's production. And it's the only way to be in succinct. There's no forwarding emails anymore. So anyway, it's been a huge game changer internally with processing and underwriting and all of that stuff. And externally, it looks amazing because you can tap people in, bring them in the loop. There's not these this back and forth. Fat you out. sold me. So I tasked one of my team members to figure out our communication in our mortgage company. And she came back, said, hey, I found this program called Front. And I'm like, what is it? And I'm like, oh, it sounds kind of cool. Somebody's off, you know, sick, whatever. Somebody can grab those emails. It's pretty slick. So I'm excited about trying that out. Yeah, um, when people email me, so I have two email addresses. People email me in and they get responded back as me, handed off to a partner. I haven't seen a work email, you know, in probably six, seven months. Right. You probably have a private email too for like just. Okay. So what do you think will happen with rates the next 12 months? I feel that we'll probably go up another quarter to a half a percent, maybe sit at five and a half. And I start to see things come back down more based on recessionary talks, the amount of debt that we have as a um, consumer, but also as the government, you know, I just think five and a half is really where the layer is. And I think we start to downturn. Now, I watch a bond guy who thinks that, you know, the middle to end of next year, we're going to be back down in the twos based on a whole bunch of other things that he's got going on. He's right more than he's wrong, but 
you know, nobody knows like, hey, Ukraine, whatever. Some crazy stuff can happen, man. You know, there's a lot of variables there. So man, this has been a lot of fun chat with you. So if you guys are listening to this and it sounds like you're, you know, in his area and you'd be interested to chat with Rick, reach out to him. I'm telling you, I'm sure that the innovative products that you've currently cooked up are just, you know, there's always something new because the market always shifts. And so you always have to be kind of a couple steps ahead. I know that we had chatted too offline about you have some rate stuff that's crazy. Like, can you touch on that? Are you okay with yeah, that? Or is yeah. that like, cause I mean, yeah, that I may change depending on somebody listens to this. So like, I don't want to say this is like, but you know, right. tell me about what you look like right now for, you know, some of your 30 year rates and stuff. Well, yeah, no, I'll just I'll explain why, right? So right now the secondary market is really tied to the bond market, tied to really all the craziness that's going up and down. So, you know, for those guys, you know, monitoring the mortgage-backed security market, I mean, it's getting hammered every single day. Mm-hmm. And so that's the secondary market. But what's happening right now is the banks, the credit unions, you know, they have all this money to lend. And so they're a rate gap between 30-year fixed with a bank as opposed to 30-year fixed with a secondary market is staggering. So one of the things I did before I even launched the company is I got uh, two portfolio investors. Now we're up to five and portfolios are in, out, up, down. I'll never uh, again back from learning about the bank. When I work there, I'll never work at a bank. However, I want five of them in my pocket so that we can zig and zag with them. So these are the rates, but again, informational purposes only, let's say yeah, more 30 yeah. year fixed right now is at 5%. I have a 3.99 30 year fixed again from a bank. I have a 2.875 or sorry, 2.99, arm, right? yeah. $2 million. So right now for lenders who don't have access to portfolio banks, they're out there having to sling a 5% 30-year fixed. And one thing I know about banks is they're usually late to the game, meaning they're not competitive when we're all competitive, but they're slow to leave it. They're slow to leave the party. Right. So right now- Late to show up, slow to leave. Slow to leave. And so we're capitalizing on that. And that's you know, fortunately driving a bunch more business to us and really allowing us to hit the market with it. So, yeah, that's amazing. So, Hey, again, depending on when you listen to this, things change, but just Rick is an innovator in terms of product and stuff. So be a good guy to chat with, man. It's been great to get to know you. And, you know, I don't know who to cheer for this year with Brady or the Patriots. I'm like, Oh, my heart is divided. Yeah. No Patriots all day long. Uh, Yeah. You live there. So I can see. So anyways, good chat with you. Thanks, Rick. Thanks pal. All right. Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I really was awesome getting to know Rick. Seems like a great dude. Also a Patriots fan. I mean, what's not to love, right? And I love that he focused on products in order to create innovation. And so this is something that I've thought about with our brokerage. And so if you pay attention to what I'm up to, this is something that we will be doing within our brokerage is using product innovation to help our agents succeed more. And yeah, just pay attention to my emails and stuff. We'll let you know when that stuff comes out. But after the conversations I've had recently with some of these guys in the US, I'm based out of Canada, obviously, I've got some great ideas for some product innovation that we can bring to our agents, which I'm super excited about. Hey, in this upcoming segment, I'm going to be talking to Ben about using reverse mortgages for ladder life care, which can be crazy expensive. Hey, Ben, welcome back to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott, how you doing? Fantastic. So what topic are we going to cover today when it comes to reverse mortgages? We have a couple ideas, but what are you thinking? Yeah, so we've done a bunch of deep dives into the different use cases, right? Like we've done debt consolidation, we've done, you know, reverse mortgage for divorce settlements. One of the things that we see a lot of that we haven't talked about yet is, you know, using reverse mortgages to pay for sort of latter life care, in-home care expenses, home care expenses. It's something that we see a lot of. We just did a deal last week for an 85-year-old woman in Thornhill. 
who took out a reverse mortgage to pay for home care and thought I'd do a bit of a deep dive into that use case. Sure, yeah, because that's, a, again, one of those unexpected expenses that come up. They're not budgeting for, hey, I need in-home care because my health's taking a turn for the worst. And it's though. expensive, Scott. It's it very is, expensive, it, One of the things yeah. that people don't realize is just how expensive it is to get old, right? Again, in other countries, it's, you know, you have multi-generational households, right? So it's like a much more common that, you know, the younger generation will care for the older generation in the same home. The reality is that's just not as common in Canada as it is in other places. And so a lot of people who want to stay in their homes in latter life are going to need to pay for, you know, external care. And it's very expensive, right? So I was just looking at some stats. So like, you know, the cost of a personal support worker in the home is like 24 to $33 an hour, right? Which I'm sure is like on the low end, right? So even if you're in, you know, call it the low end of that range, six hours per day, that's like 5k per month, right? And then, right. And then you start getting, you know, like nursing care, that's a like much more expensive, you know, 55 to $80 an hour, you start getting round the clock care that can run up to like $10,000, $15,000 a month. Who has the money to afford that? You know, right. nobody. Yeah. Right? Even, and they don't typically have the excess cash flow either. No, exactly. Right. And so right. I think one of the things that, you know, has become clear to people is that the home is really the only store of value. It's the only source of resources that's available to pay for that kind of, you know, significant cash outlay, you know, later in life. So, okay, you mentioned that you had a client that, so can you give some details, obviously, without personal info, but I'm interested to see how, was this from a mortgage broker, this particular situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This deal was brought to us by a mortgage broker. So, yeah, the woman in question, she was 85 years old. We'll call her Joan. Not a real name, but uh, she lived yeah. in Thornhill, just north of Toronto. Joan Jett, actually, but not her real name. Not the real Joan Jett. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, yeah. You know. yeah okay, exactly. Right. Yeah, so she, I mean, like a lot of our customers, you know, she was living on a fixed income, like $2,100 a month of monthly income, like $600 of OAS and and $1,500 from of, uh, survival benefits from her late spouse. So again, she's like, she was one of those people that, you know, absolutely does not have enough cash flow to pay for the care that she needed as her Alzheimer's sort of you know, progressed. Just a quick sidebar, like 78% of Canadian seniors say that they want to stay in their home as long as possible, their current home, as long as possible as they age. And only 26% think that they'll be able to do so, which is, a, you know, it's a sad state of affairs, right? And so she was definitely in that group that probably, you know, didn't have the liquid resources to be able to do so. But she had a $1.2 million home, right? And she's 85 kind of major urban centers. So she qualified for max LTV. So we authorized her for 660K. Right. And so, I mean, with the benefit of that, like she's going to be able to live in the home that she wants to live in and she's comfortable in and get the care that she needs, you know, for the final years of her life, you know, with the benefit of that reverse mortgage. So it's one of those deals that you go home and you know, after the workday feeling pretty good about. Right. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, I mean, in this situation, if you had this unexpected bill and if you ask, you know, no offense to realtor friends, but you ask a realtor, the solution is sell it. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I guess you got to sell your house and, you know, sell it and move into it. But then you there's costs, there's moving like, man, we just moved recently. And I could see like, yeah, it's a pain to move. And it would even be for worse sure. if you're been in the home for 20 plus years and you're a senior because now you got to pay for help. You ain't doing that yourself. Like, yeah. I mean, you know and I mean? it's, you know, I mean, obviously there are publicly funded care facilities, but if you want, you know, something a bit more comfortable, that's not cheap either. Right. And the reality is, is that people want to stay in their homes, right? They want to stay in their homes as long as they possibly can. And so, I mean, I think, you know, what does that mean is from a broker perspective, right? You know, you as a broker, you're a conduit between customers and this massive bank account that they don't even realize they have, right? I think that that's one of the things that people kind of forget about. And so, you know, as a broker, as you're thinking about, you know, different kind of, you know, sources of potential referrals, different opportunities, really like providers of high cost products and services to seniors truly are a really interesting referral source for reverse mortgages because the home really is the only source of resources that can be used to pay for these things that arise in later life, like home care, like accessibility renovations, that type of thing. Right. Accessibility, yeah. We bought a house once that had a wheelchair ramp put on because somebody needed it. We took it off. But like, 
yeah, these things that pop up. So it's also a potential for you as a broker referral source. But I got to think like if there's a way, if I've got a senior, my grandmother stayed in her home till she was like 92, but the stairs became dangerous. And even then, every time we'd go see her, she's like, I want to go back. And I'm like, no, sorry, you know, grand, you can't go back because it's not safe for you to be there. And she needed significantly more care at that point. But you know, Ben, one of the things I find interesting is just because you're helping lots of families with what you guys are doing, you come up with these use case scenarios that we don't think about all the time, but this is happening on an ongoing basis. This is happening every week, probably in your community. And so if you guys are listening to this and you want to get rushed up on your reverse mortgage stuff, reach out to Ben and his team at bloomfin.ca. They're amazing. I know that you guys have been growing like crazy in terms of brokers have been like, try you out. Now they're like, oh, this is pretty great. It's a great experience for that clients. It's a great experience for the broker and everybody involved. So check out bloomfin.ca. And thanks again for the conversation. Thanks, Scott. Hey, thanks again for listening to our episodes today. And, you know, one of the things I love about these podcasts is getting to learn from some really smart people about innovative products and solutions they're bringing to the marketplace. Hopefully you find these conversations useful as I do. And I'll be seeing you in the next episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.